Don't worry. <laughs> that was that was great intro music. Just saying. <laughs> Anyways, welcome to Haunted Grove, a horrific podcast. Haunted Grove is a horror media review podcast with no set schedule, no censorship, and no idea what human flesh tastes like. But we're open to finding out. True. Your horrific hosts for this episode are Colin, Cameron, and Adam. And today we're presenting our spoiler review of Antlers, starring Carrie Russell and Jerry T. Thomas. Yeah, man. Oh, man. All right, so... I um, can't believe we forgot the damn... Yeah, that's what, I was just, that's what the slot they had was. Because I was just like, oh, shit, we forgot the... We got the what? Uh, load up. We forgot the load up. Forgot our ratings. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. We're too busy talking it, shit. It's going to be a surprise for everybody. Um, it's early, so <laughs> shut up, internet. Okay, so the log line for the antler, for antlers is: in an isolated Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled in her enigmatic student, whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with an ancestral creature. This is written by Henry Chasen, Nick. And Tosca and Scott Cooper, also directed by Scott Cooper. It is an adapted short story from Antosca's The Quiet Boy, originally published in Guernica magazine in January 2019. So as soon as that was released, it was just picked up and optioned, and Scott Cooper ended up, I think, doing an amazing job putting this together, being produced by Guillermo del Toro, you know, no small renown on his own. So... Right. um uh, I think he's done one or two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. one or two amazing. He, he's things. he's he's coming up. <laughs> yeah. I think he's going to become. He's going to do all right. Someday. He's going to be okay. Um, yeah, it, in 2018, it was. Here's something that I think is interesting. This screenplay was adapted in tw like from a 2019 story, but it was created in 2018 for a film. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a pretty common space at, at this point. Like a lot of, um, you know, short stories, novels and stuff like that, if they're from established authors, mm -hmm. especially established authors that have written for film and screen, right. um, usually they're picked up the second they're written before they're even published. Jeez. Well, yeah. And with it being him, like um, Nick Anacosta has done like a ton of shit. Of course, I'm drawing a blank at the moment, but like he's, most of the well, you're suffering from my disease freaking just yeah <laughs> when it comes to names um i recorded a video yesterday and i couldn't remember tim curry's life for the name this life of me and i was just in the back of the head and i just wouldn't come forward i was like fuck i suppose no shit have you heard his, his pop album tim curry's no dude oh. dude oh my god all right hold on i'm dude I'm putting that shit in my phone right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's another... It's next level stuff, man. Tim Curry. Now, is this like um, Freddy... Uh, Freddy raps? No. Or it's actually good? No. <laughs> <laughs> Even it's, it's Tim Curry, so it's good. <laughs> it's just... It's not something I would ever seek out on my own if it weren't for Tim Curry. Oh, my God. It's just him I can singing. actually it's... get the LP for fucking 23 bucks. <laughs> All right. Okay, so Tim Curry aside, um, <laughs> this entire show is wrapped around the uh, folk tale of the Wendigo, the indigenous peoples of uh, the Americas. However, it's actually not about the Wendigo as much as it's about the Wendigo being a manifestation of addiction in the film, um, per Scott Cooper's uh, purpose. And mm -hmm. what I took away from it was slightly different. I thought it was all about abuse and trauma. 
And so there is a little obviously crossover there. But when you guys are watching this, I'm curious, what was your takeaway? Did you just see it as a monster movie? Did you see it as an allegory for something? And if so, what was that allegory for you? Oh, first, first viewing was definitely Wendigo. Like as soon as um, the um, Ojibwe lady, I forget what her name is. I had it written down, but my phone's over there. Mm -hmm. um, as soon as she started speaking, I was like, oh, fuck. I bet this is going to be a Wendigo. Because yeah. uh, like I... You know, I, I'm sure everybody knows my nipples get hard for fucking uh, native folklore and shit. Um, and that's like that whole tale of the Wendigo. That shit's just great fun. So, yeah, I was pretty excited. Second time around, though, yeah, definitely uh, seemed like a, a story of about abuse, mm -hmm. like real heavy. Yeah. What do you think, Colin? Yeah. Um, funny enough. Uh, was it last week? Yeah, last week Cameron and I really went into it because we were discussing native folklore and we just went into because we were discussing Pet Cemetery mm -hmm. and we went into one about the Wendigo and the nature of its corruption because I was a bit confused about it being an entity itself or a spirit that took over somebody. So we had that discussion. So getting into this movie, I was actually better prepared okay. for the actual folklore, which was great. You know, it's actually... This is actually useful. Yeah, <laughs> this like shit actually has a purpose. But um, if you don't understand the folklore, you can take a lot of things from this movie. But um, mm -hmm. essentially, it's corruption, and it's similar to actually Tolkien. The the dug too deep into the mountain mm -hmm. and angered the ancestors. You know, that's that's the premise. Of this, but it's in turning people's own uh, fallacies against them. Yeah. So should that be abuse or alcoholism or other types of addiction? Because in this, at the start of this movie, we see um, the main character, the victim. He's a loving father. You know, I mean, you see that scene. Mm -hmm. It's a rough, shoddy time, but still yeah. love. So you're he's making mess to survive. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's a statement Who about the American there? Midwest. Yeah, but he's got. He's. It's only a function. Do you know what I mean? He's only doing it. Yeah, he's he's doing his best. His yeah, for sure. But he's being a good father to the kid. He's telling the kid to stay safe. There's family love there, so mm -hmm. it's not as if the kid's a prisoner, which actually makes it more brutal as the story goes on. Yeah, and especially he's the one saying, you need to lock me up. I am dangerous. Mm -hmm. I am sick. Like, that's that point right there you're making, I think, is so incredibly important because it's so easy to look at this and say, oh, he was corrupted and he's turning into a monster. But no, he cared mm -hmm. even until the very end, even after he was totally transformed. He was oh, yeah. doing his best to look after his kids. There, There's a strength of being a parent that usually manifests itself in shame because most, most every parent I've ever talked to is convinced that they've ruined their kids in some way by some you know, myriad of decisions they've made throughout their lives and actions they've taken. But if you're in a position where the only way you can make ends meet in the town that you live is to make meth and sell that, you know, you're, you're doing it for your kids, but it's clearly bad decisions, you know, but you're sort of, there's some people in this, not just in this country, all around the world that are just sort of left behind economically and socially. And they are the ones that are really trying to 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 deal with life in wildly unfair terms. There's no such thing as fair, but just, you know, for the sake of the argument, mm -hmm. um, unfair terms compared to other people. And so they do love their kids. They love their families, but they're having to make decisions that are abjectly horrible, you know, and even even when those decisions come to bite this guy in his ass, he is still looking out for his kids and he's trying mm -hmm. his best. 
And it do, it does, again, to your point, it creates a character that is not just mon monstrous in its manifestation, but also a little relatable as any parent, you know, or anyone who's ever loved anything. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what makes this, I guess it's a tragedy, this is a grim, yeah. I love this story, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's grim, it's dark, you're on the, you know what I mean, you're unsettled by watching it, there's no mm -hmm. if, buts, or maybes, but it's not cookie cutter stereotype, cardboard cutted characters, you know what I mean, there's yeah. depth, mm -hmm. and the monster itself um, is the result of corruption, Yeah. and the guy right up to the very end is fighting against it, even though you don't see too much of him, because it's all, it's all told through the lens of the young boy, yep. mm -hmm. whose name I've just forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Clever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremy T. Thomas was Lucas Weaver. Um, let's see. Who was the dad? we got to call out the dad really quick. I think it's Frank. Um, yeah, Scott it Hayes. Frank. Because that actor lost 70 pounds to play that role. 70 Everybody pounds. in this fucking movie. Yeah, right. Uh, Colin put it so beautifully. Like, everybody needed to be fed cheeseburgers after this. <laughs> <laughs> God, I was so grim. Like those kids. My word, that was that was borderline child abuse. Oh my god! Really yeah. good makeup because they yeah. actually looked they looked ill. Mm -hmm. Especially the main character, right when he has he was being tested by the or checked by the nurse at the school. Yeah. His yeah, back. Jesus, oh my gosh! Yeah, this is I've never I've never seen in any of my memory in my entire life a horror film that's made me cry before. But watching this the second time. Damn. It hit me so hard and just this the 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 you know the word you're using is grim. It just it hurt watching these kids go through this and the entire situation, you know, because it's so real. You know, you take away the window part of it, everything in this is real. And it's mm -hmm. just sad that it's so fucking real and it's happening right now in all corners of the world. You know, children being abused by their fucking parents. Oh god damn! It's this. It's well, the... we talked about this last night. Actually, um, I had Christina Hogan, and we talked about this this exact same uh, topic. Uh, it's funny how it turns out. Um, yeah. That scene in the principal's office, mm -hmm. where the teachers bring in the drawings, mm -hmm. yep. and she describes the time. Just set, you know, I mean, take the window, like you're just saying, take the window to go apart. Just that scene in the principal's office where she describes a town where kids don't go to school because A, they don't want the teacher smelling meth on them, yeah. so they'll report them, or B, they're using the kids to move product. Mm -hmm. And the fact that everything's just run down and they actually like stunning, beautiful scenery. Let's, oh my god. Let's gosh. be honest, but they managed oh to make it. Because the town wasn't like falling apart, it wasn't rusty and fall, but they still managed to give that effect, even using the mist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which normally you would look at it and think, this is beautiful, but yeah. they actually managed to twist it. Well, that's, I think that's like, part of why it hit so hard. You know, it landed so well, is because you have this stunning cinematography, beautiful mm -hmm. imagery on the backdrop of pain. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just an open wound of a story. It was beautiful, and you couldn't yeah. help. I could not. I could not rationalize. I couldn't. I can't think of the word that I'm trying to use. I. I couldn't marry the two, because I. I was lured in seductively by this environment, and then just stabbed in the face by the right. story. 
Well, and that's like that's one of the basically the setting is one of the greatest characters of this film because mm-hmm. I mean it it sets up just the tone of the movie altogether, um, and like it's always dark, it's always bleak, it's still pretty. But if you notice, the only time in the movie where it's bright and sunny and there's beautiful colors is right before you actually see the Wendigo in a hole and he takes out that kid. Like, the scenery just fucking sets everything up just to fuck with you. I love it. Yeah, the tone was a character in itself. Yeah. You know what I mean? You hear that, um, especially like Batman movies, they say Gotham's a character that keeps being used over and over again where... The setting is as much as a character as the the people walking around. Mm-hmm. This is a classic. This is an example of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you... if it wasn't for the town and the way it was set up, this could have been. This would have been lost. Yeah. Well, you I had mean, that. The hottest had it like a dusty, you know, like Wild West sort of frontier town. Right. I don't think it would have the same effect. No. Where they set it, how they shot it, just. Yeah, it's an old rundown amazing. mining community, but. You know, we see a big long line of people, and you immediately in your head think, "Oh, it's the, you know, job center." But no, it's an addiction clinic. This entire town is suffering from not just the jobs leaving because coal mining is is sort of you know it's it's on its out as an industry, but they're also completely overrun with addiction, and mm-hmm. that backdrop to you know right next to the ice cream shop that the kid is wanting to go in and taste the ice cream is literally a line of addicted adults. You know, this, this like this is the life that these people are living. It's not going to work every day in, in streaming your favorite stupid shows or watching assholes on, on YouTube like we're doing. It's <laughs> trying to find a fix so that you can actually operate and not steal from everyone else and, you know, to, to try to... I don't... It, it's so sad. It is so depressing. Yeah. Have you heard about that experiment with the rats? Yeah, yeah when you give them all the... So so basically, um, they had it, two water bottles, one's half laced with cocaine, the other's ordinary water. Yeah. And that's... I forget the name of the scientist, sorry, I'm just pulling this off the top of my head, but they said that the rat was more likely to go to the water laced with cocaine, but then another doctor came in, and what he noticed was, it was a barricade, the rat had nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So what he did instead was he built rat heaven he built like all you know he, he built like a an enclosure there was toys there was things to do there was tunnels there was maze but they still had the two water bottles yep. and what they found was when the rat was engaged and had purpose and basically had a fulfilled day of engagement no um it didn't touch the water with the cocaine yeah it just went for the ordinary water bottle and then as they introduced more rats they actually found that there was no uh wanting uh, even at the animalistic level for the drug because mm. they were having a fulfilled life they had, you know, um, especially when there was a, was a it's not a pack of rats, sorry, terrible, but you know what I mean, a group of rats. Yeah. So then mm-hmm. they had social interaction and bonding. Mm-hmm. We're the same. If you take that away, if you take away purpose, yeah. if you take away a reason to like wake up in the morning, go and do something, um, not just the lion staring the ceiling, you're, you're not going to look for it, but if all you have in life is staring at four walls and nothing to engage, you know, to engage yourself, and it doesn't have to be about money yeah. or buying stuff, but I mean, purpose through day to day, like getting on YouTube and talking shit, you know, yeah. that, that, that all feeds into it. Then you don't want the addictive substances, but when you don't have mm-hmm. that, then that's where this becomes prevalent. And I think that's what happened to, you, you see it all over, you see it back here with the mining communities. Um, mm-hmm. 
the town's going to absolutely ratchet because the mine was the focal point. It wasn't just a job, it was a mm-hmm. purpose, a community, and then that fed out, you know, the miners have money and economics is movement of money, not having it, but you have twenty dollars, you spend five dollars in store, that lets somebody employ two people, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And that's how people get fulfilled, that's how wealth happens. When you take that away, what have you got? I mean, it's all, I'm not talking about all your eggs in one basket. So a lot of these places that were industrial and only had the one, you know, should it be mining, um, manufacturing, steelworks, you know, when that was like the reason for the town, because I've talked about this last day as well, but normally the, the factory happens, the town happens around it. Yep. When you remove it, um, mm-hmm. when you remove a military base, so anytime there's a military base, there always ends up being towns built up around it. Yeah. If you close that military base down, the towns die because once again, there's moving the money, troops come in, they're out in the town mm-hmm. the weekend, or they're going out, their wives in the pad block are going out to the local stores. Mm-hmm. Once you take that away, no purpose anymore. For sure. Then mm-hmm. that's where that's where the corruption, and I think that's what the Wendigo represents. Yeah. Because um, that scene with the native, uh, the chief, I don't know if he's a chief or a researcher, I don't think he gave his title. I think he was a, like a, an academic anyway. He, he was a retired sheriff. Was he? All oh, right, but he yeah. was a uh, he was Native American, but he ha- he held a position as well. So he wasn't just a sheriff; he held a position. So uh-huh. he was like the, in charge of the folklore, maybe an interest. But he explained that the the first instance of the Wendigo was because of starvation, and starvation that led to cannibalism, and that was the corruption. So, and obviously, all yeah, because the do white something. colonials came over and displaced all the native peoples, which no, forced I think them this into that. before. Um, well, that's what that was that same scene before. when he was explaining it. All right, but uh, and sorry, Cameron and I had a massive conversation about the um, Native American folklore is amazing, hmm? but it shouldn't just be told through the lens of white colonials. That's doing a misservice. Well, and a lot of a lot of the really good shit is pre-colonialism, anyways. Even like pre-white people, like yeah, exactly. And that's what we need to. That's what we need to hear. And yeah, it's good bringing in the modern world and that. But I think we need. Sorry, I know we're going over old points again, but we need actual Native American stories told pre-colonialism and the actual trials and tribulations that happened then. Um, what was it? The Navajo witches. They have a name. The uh, Yanni's? Uh, sorry, or are you I, talking about the Skinwalkers? Yeah, but the uh, begins with an N. The witches. I don't know. Uh, the witches. Like Navajo witches or Yanni's? Yanni's. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yanni's right. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I went down a rabbit hole a week ago. But <laughs> well, that was a week ago. From <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah. So even hearing about those and uh, like witchcraft, there's fucking witchcraft stories. Mm-hmm. This is, um, I think it's that's why it's movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's so brilliant because it's touching on that. Um, but once again, we need to remove the white colonialism just because it's ruining. Well, it's just a perfect frame for it is all. You know, oh, for you, this story, you, yes. Yeah. So that's why that's why I think it's important. My wife and I had this conversation during the film too. She was like, you know, it's so sad what white people did to those people. I was like, well, wait a second. Natives did it to each other. All mm-hmm. humans, all white people have done it to white people. Slavery is still a thing. Like, mm-hmm. this is not something that happened one time in the past and, you know, the white people are the bad guys. No, this is a human expression. Period. Okay. And we are we are a monstrous people as as human beings, a species and this is just how we act. 
sensibilities change through the ages on whether it's good or not and whether we accept it as a positive thing or not or a necessary evil but this is humanity and it's pretty sad i mean it's all ancient uh native history like the whole continent i mean slavery was a thing it's, uh, still yeah it always that has was, been. The term slave yeah, that was nothing new like Slav. different tribes with still different tribes people and fucking use them mm-hmm. that's just what you did yeah. so i remember the movie man called horse do you remember that one I vaguely charlton heston i didn't see it he was basically taken as a slave by um i think it was apaches mm-hmm but then it obviously because he's freaking Charlton Heston, he ingratiated himself, became part of the tribe, and then he's running around with a bow and arrow. That actually but did like, happen from time to time. Yeah, I was like, that's that's but pretty common. Originally, place. he was taken as a slave because it was conquest. Mm-hmm. You know, that that was the premise of the story. Yeah, that's how a lot of native cultures did it. You know. Yeah, it's like if you were a person of worth, like, oh fuck, all right, you're not a slave, you're our fucking homie now. Mm-hmm. Like that's, yeah, that's nothing new. Yeah, that's why but that I, was. Um, here we had indentured servitude. Mm-hmm. So it was a playway in the ten hundreds. Basically, conquest. Of, you know what I mean? We've had thousands of years of fucking beating each other over the head with axes. But yeah. well, one king took over, and then another house fell. Those houses became slaves. Chattel, basically, for the conquest and Japanese society. Um, uh, I was talking about Shogun Friday night. Another thing. Sorry, I'm talking so much shit. <laughs> but, um, Shogun was the same. Um, the conquering warlord, mm-hmm. uh, the defeated became vassals of the new warlord. So yeah. this is human. That's what we do. This is humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I after hearing the director's um, intention with the film about how um, this film is an allegory to the human addiction to natural resources human communities addiction to opioid crisis um addiction to drugs which stemmed into the opioid crisis um Mm -hmm. and just our seeming inability to just be positive to other human beings you know from parents to kids and such um i started thinking maybe this film was a little too heavy-handed with that message because then i started seeing it everywhere but until he said it i saw it as a completely different thing and i didn't think it was heavy-handed at all so with that in mind and sort of reflecting back on the film do you guys think this director was too heavy-handed with the message or do you think that it just flew in you know nice and fluid way i thought it was pretty fluid i mean it's um it it reminded me a lot of uh like Oh God, what was uh, Midnight Midnight Mass? Uh, Mike Flanagan's right, yeah, mid- shit. It, it was very much like that, especially you know somebody who deals with addiction. Like I'm a fucking addict. Um, like I, it, it was subtle. You knew it was there, but I don't feel like it was too heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, just like with his, you know, Midnight Mass being his, you know, letter to what it's like to become an atheist after being in a cult. Yeah, like I. I thought it went pretty well. I didn't feel, like it didn't take me out at all at any mm-hmm. point in time. What about you? The dynamic between the brother and sister and why she left, I thought was a bit happy handed. Yeah. That was a bit, uh, you know, just being in the setting enough, the fact she moved away, I, th- mm-hmm. I don't think that added to the story. She could have just lived away for a while, came home after the father died, and the surroundings was more than enough. I think their side story kind of, 
took away from it. About, that that was about, about heavy-handed for me. Yeah, I mean, the director used that as a hook to force her into this kid's life, um, you know, as, as a sort of and Once again, this is society. Apparently, you have to have trauma. You have to be the thing to em empathize with the thing. And that's utter horseshit. Yeah. You can well, be an empathetic human being. Sympathetic, you don't yeah. have to be exactly the same <laughs> as the thing in front of you to go, that's a shit situation you're in. Mm -hmm. If I can help you, I will. That's mm -hmm. empathy. That is just not being a fucking psychopath. Well, I mean, it's the difference between sympathy and empathy is one's lived experience and the other is, you know, I yeah, understand definitely. it. So, but to your point, yes, you're right. It, like, it, it does seem like we have to see it through a lived experience lens in order to buy that it could, you know, be understood. When no, you just see a kid who's in pain and as a human, you just react. You know, you want yeah. to help that kid. It, you don't have to have been abused yourself. Um I do think that it it added a really interesting layer to the film because, again, it was just dumping sorrow on us as a viewer, and and so mm -hmm. maybe it was too much. Maybe that's what sort of pushed me over the edge to to feel so horrible um, and you know <laughs> question life choices I've made and stuff. Um, it's yeah. like, fuck, how do they live? And you know, I didn't go through any of that, and I feel bad about myself. How shitty am I? <laughs> like. <laughs> How privileged I am I? I live in a deprived neighborhood. Yeah. And it was actually a study done that social services, um, it wasn't the fact that they were deprived, it was the level of deprivation mm. was when they decided to act. So 90% right. of people were deprived, but it was just the level. And then I'm like in the same classroom as kids who have no structure in their life whatsoever. Mm. I think my parents were a bit overprotective. That's why I kind of had a bit of late starting and lost the reels and had to go and experience everything. But my parents were overprotective. But first of all, I had two parents. Mm -hmm. That was a, what's that? Why have you got two yeah. in your house? Why haven't you got two families? You know, and <laughs> this, that, do you mean? I was the oddball out. And then you had kids uh, wearing a three-bedroom house. Mm -hmm. But there was four of us. Two kids, two parents. There's other people like next Two, two doors up, like 10 of them in the house. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that was the sort of level of, that's what I had to look at the level of deprivation. You're like, fucking hell. You know, it's only coming back thinking about it. And this is played out, you know, like I said, back to that conversation with the principal, mm -hmm. that's just a matter of fact. They're like, what can we do? Mm -hmm. At least they're here. They're turning up. Yeah. Yeah. How's that wee kid with a stank? That's just fucking heavy. <laughs> yeah. That wee kid with a stank to high heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, not no wash. Not even sure if it's running water. Um, holes in the clothes. He's emaciated. You could just say, you know, what I mean, he's out scrabbling in the dirt to find meat. Yeah. As the corruption, you know, what I mean, uh, so like the same with a skunk. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, that, that just... thing that was already eaten that he got a bag yeah, out the, to put it. Uh, fucking raccoon. Yeah. yeah. Like that was that was even worse. Like the skunk. It's like, oh no, he's gonna kill it. But then he's like poking a fucking crow with a stick. Like ah, this is mine. <laughs> Like, I God called damn that yeah, shit. Proper like, no, Wayne. Is that what I look like dumpster diving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh man. Okay, so Carrie Russell as Julia Meadows is sort of the um the protagonist in this show. How do you guys think mm -hmm. she did? Amazing. Like I I bought it completely. 
Like, I agree that the, the brother and sister dynamic was pretty heavy-handed. Um, I, I feel like if the movie was a little bit longer, they could have drawn it out a hair instead of making it so so urgent that they had to, like, force it in so that the story could progress. Um, but I I will say the one thing I did like about that shit mm -hmm. was the creepy dad moment oh, where he's in the bed. Like, damn. that was just... Oh. That was probably one of the worst disturbing scenes in the movie. And it wasn't even that bad, but it just, for some reason, that right. fucked was me that up. actually him on the bed, or is that her being herself on the bed, transposing as him, know. you know, a dream sequence? I, I think she was out, under but... the bed. Yeah. And he was, like, all naked with, like, this little stuffed animal, like, spooning it. Like, it was a fucked up yeah. scene that I couldn't. Like, even now, I don't want to recall it because it was so disturbing to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, was, and for whatever yeah. reason, I don't even know why I thought she was under the bed. But I did. Because she said he made me hide under the bed or something mm -hmm. um, when she was talking to her brother. And, the, yeah. and so I don't know if I just transposed her image there in my memory or if she actually was. But that scene when, like, when she was at the piano and he came up behind her and she started flashing back to that image... That was the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in a film. <laughs> you know, as yeah, far as like abuse. Well, when we've seen so much bland shit over the last couple of years, you know, all of a sudden we're now getting dumped this year. Fucking yeah. amazing movies. It's great. Um, but tell you what, just on another note, Jesse Plemons, he's really porked out, hasn't mm. he? I can, he still has got I can it though. The same, but he's yeah, he's, uh, he's really uh, just decided he likes burgers and not weights anymore. He was so good, though. He's such a good actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it was funny. Um, did you watch Breaking Bad? Yeah. Did you watch? Um, it was awful, but El Camino. No. Right. Don't. Um, yeah. Don't watch. It's not worth. It doesn't add anything to the story. But what was funny was that Jesse Plemons, like acting, currently in old scenes. Oh yeah. Uh, just so funny because he's just you know he's just bloated out and his younger self's like super thin and tight and then he's supposed to be playing himself younger and it just looks weird <laughs> and it's just like um maybe he's benjamin button <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> he's going backwards getting old uh, just really weird yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh breaking bad amazing better calls all don't watch el camino it's a pointless <laughs> exercise yeah it's not worth it but yeah jesse Clemens. um i really like him as an actor he just uh has that way he's playing a completely different he's not typecast like um what what do you call him just saying the same time aaron paul is basically the same character everything he does since right right but you see this guy's transformed into the character you, you wouldn't if you didn't know him you, you wouldn't uh equate the two mm -hmm. which is what you want to see he yeah i mean he, he exudes humanity you know the first time we're exposed to him in the film He's talking about how he has to go evict a family who has nowhere to go and he can only give them 15 minutes to grab anything like and he's depressed about it, but yeah. he has to do a job and he doesn't even want to do the job. But this is, you know, the life that he's chosen because no one else would step up to do it. And it's like you can tell that this society and, and we can extrapolate this out to any society. It's holding on by a thread only certain people who step up to do jobs that they don't want to do and they get shit for doing it. Like humanity is on the ver constantly on the verge of collapse. <laughs> it is only our yeah. belief in the system that keeps it going and our ability to bitch about it. You, you strip away that 
and we have nothing left. It is just we're animals. Yeah, we're again. just breeding each other. Yeah, we, <laughs> it's so crazy. Um, Jeremy T. Thomas is Lucas Weaver, the young boy. Just amazing. I don't know how you how you direct kids in a film like this, I, but whatever they did, they pulled out some some acting chops out of this little kid. And I don't know if oh, it's yeah. and the older brother too. They kept yeah. the older brother props. Yeah, I mean, hell. like he wasn't in it much. He was more of a plot point, but bloody hell, like those two kids. Yeah. Um, like I said, <laughs> like the first thing I did after watching this message you did, go, fuck, I hope they give them cheeseburgers. <laughs> they need hugs. <laughs> Just hugs from their parents. <laughs> Just an endless sea of I love yous. <laughs> yeah. It's not real, Tony pretend. Right, we're going into the dark room again of the fucking studio because. <laughs> Well, and the crazy yeah. thing about that, like, uh, especially, like, the end scene, like, in the mine, um, and this is, like, dumb fucking nerd shit. Like, I was boring the hell out of my wife last night when I was basically jerking off to this. Um, <laughs> like, the the way that they filmed, like, they filmed uh, digitally on Reds, yeah. but the way that Reds are set up is, like, they're super, uh, like, they pick up the most minute lights and stuff and just expose the hell out of it. Um so what's cool is like in the mines, like especially that end scene, that's all practical lighting. Mm -hmm. Like that's literally just the flares that they're using to pick up the light. So how dark it looks to us is how dark it was for them. Like it wasn't like a traditional movie where they would overexpose it and right. then darken it in post. Like it was a dark fucking movie. I got no CGI so, feelings from this. They, what's that? I got no CGI feelings. Do yeah. a movie, you're like, oh, fucking No, CGI. they did a, did a little bit of... Yeah, course, but you don't but, get that. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? They've done it, but they've done not practical. You don't yeah, get the that. the most of it though. is practical. So they do digital yeah. stuff for, like, a couple hands or a couple mouth movements and stuff like that, but... Yeah, but that blended in. That's yeah. what I mean. You don't get that. Yeah, no, fucking... this was perfect practical blend of uh, the two, but... Yeah. You couldn't God, have like, Guillermo those... del Toro not do a practical monster. <laughs> That's his right. bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah you'd hear the news... Fucking film crew gets chopped up by crazy director for <laughs> bits of green screen shoved down their throats. <laughs> Fuck <Yeah>. you. <laughs> well, the design of the Wendigo too. You know, throughout history, we've just seen so many different variations on a theme, and and seeing how it can look. They took a lot of care in the sculpting of the actual mm -hmm. Wendigo that I never even would have considered because in my head it can be seen as any antlered creature right like maybe it's a, it looks like a woman in a shroud or something with antlers but as long as there's antlers then okay it's a wendigo but they went into great care on how this creature looks how it manifests mm -hmm. itself the fact that it comes out of the body it was it's like this gestation gestation almost like alien and there's scenes in this to your point about the the flare light that felt like aliens you know the, yeah. the film it's just like this beautiful homage to monstrosity and seeing that be birthed you know it, it, it felt earned you know it didn't feel like oh no mm -hmm. this is a monster in the darkness you know when the kid's out in the forest and his father had already sort of gestated and he didn't know it and that redhead came to pick on him and then it like jumped out of the tree the kid just like hightailed it i was like that <laughs> is the thing that never happens in a horror film <laughs> and it's like right the, the thing so you're supposed last to last time we saw that was in fear street when we talked about it like the the mm -hmm. only other like movie brave enough to boot your kids because mm -hmm. that's always the no no. That's why fucking yeah. thirty year olds play high school students, and I always had a fucking inferiority <laughs> complex growing up. Because I'm like, oh, they have a full beard. Like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> what the fuck? 
or it's like a 40 year old bloke picking on a three year old, you know, with the book they have the bully because they have to have somebody fucking oh, just yeah, yeah, had a strange perception of my body growing up watching movies, <laughs> especially horror movies, yeah. But yeah, this is the only time, apart from Fear Street, which is another we we talked about that a while ago, um, amazing series. They actually have that brave step of yeah, kids are collateral damage too. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's your mate. Yeah. Oh man, I love this film so much. Okay, so let's yeah, let's get into um. So this was filmed in the same location as the town of Rambo First Blood, so we clearly get this setting of. This is a timeless location that just looks beautiful and run down at the mm-hmm. exact same time because it was the exact same scenario back then. Economically disadvantaged people, you know, mm-hmm. um, a, a town that's on the end of its ropes. This is like the yeah. American trope right now, but it's not a trope as in it's happened. It's a trope as in it's happening. <laughs> like this is a real yeah. problem, like oh. all over the goddamn world. The Wendigo is also featured in Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, which I never picked up on. I guess I only watched the the film and I never read the book, so I never. Oh God, dude, you gotta, especially because oh, yeah. you're an audiobook fan. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta get the one that uh, Michael C. Hall did. Okay, it's amazing. Don't don't read any of the reviews. Fuck all the people that said it was garbage. They're garbage. Yeah, it was amazing. Okay, I like Michael C. Hall. He's good people. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was the what was your favorite part about this? Let's start with you, Colin. Um, oh, your shit. favorite part about antlers? <laughs> Can you distill it? Um, no, actually, because it's a journey from start to end. Um, yeah. Because every scene had an integral part and brought you more into the story. Um, I would say the horror when the when to go actually emerged after killing the headmaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she was a. Uh, is that what you call them in American schools? No. No, it's a principal. principal. <laughs> Teacher or principal. Yeah. Right, so but we know what you, you mean. mean. Right, okay. Sorry, just language barriers. Yeah. So when she actually goes to the house, and you could just tell she's gagging, because I was gagging watching this, because I have a horror factory. I like strong smells. I, I just don't do that. Yeah. I can watch Blood and Guts all day. Give me a stinking smell and I'm out. <laughs> So I could just picture the rottenness of the house. Yeah. And that's what I said about the weekend. He lives in that, so that will be on his body as he's sitting in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I didn't do that. You know, pick up the spell. I know they're doing other things. But, but did you look at all the other kids? Like, half of them looked like they were in very similar situations. Yeah. Yeah, so back to what I said about degrees at the problem. Yeah. Uh, deprivation. Yeah. I wouldn't say the problem, but deprivation. You know, um, but this kid would have raked and just got into the house. And the fact that went further into it, it was just like smell like death yeah that was me just oh god how <laughs> death would be better yeah you know, like that sometimes <laughs> death is better because fuck that so yeah. I'd, I'd be gone i'd be swinging from something if that was my life mm-hmm. right okay so it's still trains running <laughs> <laughs> um cameron what do you think what's your what's your favorite part of this fuck see that's hard for me too because like this harkens back to um like first viewing it really reminded me a lot of uh some of my er, my favorite early 2000s films and that's really like i'm a sucker for nostalgia yeah like um it just it, it reminds me of, like the early days of digital filming when it was still fresh so there weren't like conventional rules about how to use a, the camera mm-hmm. uh so the way that shit shot it's just so dark 
but it's contrast with really sharp images. Um, so, I mean, it reminds me a lot of like Darkness Falls, uh, Silent Hill, uh, uh, Dead Silent. Silence. Hill reaction too, yeah. Yeah, I, I fucking God, I love that shit Were so they much. Sequel to uh, Darkness Falls, I think. Really? I believe so. No. Why? <laughs> I don't think I've like, ever admittedly, seen it. that's not a good movie. I fucking love that movie, but it's it's really not that good. So I can yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I guess twenty years removed, it would make sense, but yeah, I mean, I'll probably watch it. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, aside from that, just like visually, it's a great story. Like it's got everything that I love about Americana. Like it's mm-hmm. you know busted ass down bleak town. Uh, you've got your native lore in it. Like it's just, I, I fucking love this movie. Every aspect of it. Did it matter, do you think, that um, the director went out of his way to get um, Native peoples to make sure it was presented in an authentic way? Did that carry through at all? Uh, I mean, it, it, it gave me, you know, it, it made me give him a thumbs up on that. I don't necessarily, like, there's, there's certain stories, and I'm probably going to get shit for saying this, but there's certain stories that are so ingrained in american culture not just native american culture but america as a whole that yeah it adds to it to have the the uh, the authenticity of you know a native telling a native story but really like especially with the wendigo uh, and especially northeastern united states like that's something that just everybody knows Mm -hmm. so i don't necessarily know if it would take away from it if it didn't have the native telling you know telling the story but yeah. Again, I, he got a good thumbs up for me for using natives for. Yeah, I want to address that that idea really quick because it, it's something that has always driven me crazy. And as I'm a designer professionally, what what I do is I look at the target market that the client is looking to attract, and then I craft a message around that visually mm-hmm. and literally the message, the, the the text and stuff. So it doesn't matter who the client is. It doesn't matter who their target market is. A talented human being is able to adapt and adjust. I don't have to have been um, a, a fly fisherman in order to connect with fly fishermen. And so mm-hmm. the idea that you have to have a native representative in order to tell a native story in my head is ridiculous. It's nice that he did it, and it's nice that he mm. made sure that he got things right. But I hate that idea that, oh, it has to be someone who is um, uh, wheelchair-bound in order to play someone that's wheelchair-bound. Or it has to be a lesbian in order to play a lesbian. Or a trans person to play a trans person. No. Mm-hmm. That's what acting is about. Exactly. Yeah, Act um, the role. Yeah, yeah. Blew that whole narrative out of the water. Because yeah. the whole back... Uh, there's a whole backlash at the moment. The fucking Woke Brigade went after Tolkien, and now they're regretting it because oh, fucking, right, right. <laughs> they hit the hardcore. Star Wars fans are nothing. Um, we talk about it as well. <laughs> Star Wars fans are down here in terms of nerd nerdism. Fucking yeah. Tolkien fans are like out there, and <laughs> they picked the wrong enemy this time. But even Ian McKellen, the founder of Stonewall, is even saying, "Fuck you! It's only pretend. Stop with this bullshit. It's mm-hmm. not actually right. serving any purpose." Yeah. Yeah, uh, I just I wanted yeah. to, to address that really quick because it's it's yeah. so ridiculous that you don't have to do that to tell an authentic story. You just have to be good no. at telling stories. Yeah, exactly. 
Okay. Like so I, mean, I, I would <laughs> argue that there are certain like certain stories you probably should have at least like this. Like they set it up perfectly. They had somebody um you know, an Ojibwe actually speaking the language, explaining the mythology from the get-go. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, that was the perfect intro. They didn't need anybody else in there mm-hmm. um, to essentially give native cred. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I love the actor that they had, and oh, yeah. I thought he filled the role perfectly, because, yeah. I mean, realistically, you need an old wise Indian man in everything, because why not? The but white man um, trope. We gotta have it. Like, if he wasn't in there, I don't think it would have taken away from it, because, I mean, like, the fucking kid knew what was up. Mm-hmm. They could have easily just gone through his desk and been like, oh, look at all these books. Oh, hey, there's a bookmark right here. What is this? Well, that's fucking scary. That looks like what he's drawing. By the way, and I would buy that art book in a yeah. heartbeat. That kid's artwork. Fuck yeah. I really it. wish they would do, like, a collector's edition and release that as, <sighs> you know, just like a 20-page book. God, so that'd be creepy so and good. sad. <laughs> I love yeah. it so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That shit always gets me. Like, um, properly done children's art, which is funny because, of course, it's never children that actually yeah. do these things. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, that shit gets under my skin so fucking much. Like, honestly, it reminds me of, like, serial killer art. Um, yeah. Because most serial killers are fucking shit artists, but they're fucked up enough in the head that mm-hmm. it comes through in the art. And I, yeah, I'm a sucker for that stuff. Yeah. Fucking Gacy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, mean, <laughs> I know i wish i had some of this shit. um i i'm like both of you i can't choose a favorite part about this movie it's just it's a beautiful and terrifyingly sad film like mm-hmm. i don't want to like it because it's so sad <laughs> but i right. desperately love it because it's not afraid of being really as bad as it actually is you know and it's not like it's not like they're saying well here's some really bad stuff but then here's some light stuff in order to sort of cleanse your palate no it's just like sad upon sad upon sad you're just drowning in the sorrow and there's something really honest and unapologetic about it that is really attractive i don't know i hate that i love this movie but i desperately love this movie and i love to hate that i love it you know it just it makes me feel Weird. <laughs> Feel funny in my <laughs> pants. See, those are like the best movies, especially when it ends on a low note. Like that's this movie was just constant sorrow and misery, and you don't get a happy ending. No, you get a bleak fucking oh Christ. I know what's coming. Ending. Yeah, that's so another day. It's going to carry on. Never see that. Yeah, like even you know the and this is maybe why it hit a little bit too hard for me is like when he coughed it out, it was oil. Going back to that mm-hmm. allegory of we're addicted to our natural resources, which is killing our planet. And so the planet is coming and manifesting itself to stop us. Maybe that was a little too hard. Maybe you have it blood instead of oil, but that's crazy. I didn't see it as oil. Oh, really? I didn't see it as oil. Like, either. I just night figured I it was it. just fucking like crud, like evil crud. Oh yeah. <laughs> like the grudge. Yeah. Crud. Cause the Wendigo itself wasn't covered in the oil. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't an oil right. monster. Right. No, no. Yeah. It, it was a but manifestation that... of the earth, not, the natural mm-hmm. resource, you know. Yeah, because that could have been like wet, so, you know, I mean, soil even, you know, just yeah. Dark, never, never yeah that's how I saw it at least. Yeah, because um, it wasn't an oil refinery; it was a no. It's just the idea of of um, natural resources is all, mm-hmm. you know. So it's going to be coal and oil and natural gas and you know just anything that strips the land. Anyway, that yeah. that was just the allegory that that he was the director was pushing on it, and so after hearing that and then watching it again. 
I picked up on a lot more of what he was, you know, sort of like shoving down our visual throats that I never picked up on until I heard him say that. <laughs> then I, yeah. you know, and then I was like, oh shit. But, um, but this is the purpose of horror. This is something I've been going on about now. Um, the purpose of horror is to unnerve you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now we're not going to, we're not frightened of the dark anymore. I mean, we're not kids. Speak we're not, for yourself. We've all grown up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah fine, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, the, the usual stuff isn't going to frighten us. If you're a horror aficionado, that's not going to happen. So it's things, I guess, that actually reaches into different places and shakes it up a bit. Mm. And that nice little comfortable life, yeah. you start questioning, going, oh, shit, we're only a hair's breadth away. Just one incident or fucking, uh, this could all be taken away at any moment. We're not mm-hmm. nice and safe and we're not at the top of the food chain. And uh, I'm repeating myself from last night, but it kind of went in this rant as well. You know what I mean? That's what horror is about. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And if it can do that to you, it's done its job. It's that's what's wonderful about it because it's nice to have that feeling because then you appreciate when you come out of this, you pre- oh, well actually, do you know what? I might have been pissed off an hour ago, but I'm actually all right because I'm not there. Yeah. Yeah. Well <laughs> right. there's there's this wonderful tradition of horror stemming from folk tales in order to scare you because of a message you're trying to teach someone that was lost in the seventies and eighties predominantly by the popular horror franchises in favor of just jump scares and tits. And then it came back around and Scream, the new Scream remake made this really great point. Oh, calm down. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into it. (laughs) But my point is they brought up this wonderful idea about, I like elevated horror, horror that connects with an actual human experience, not just a cabin in the woods and a murderer type horror. And so that you know yeah. the the whole franchise is based around um, that uh, that movie in the franchise is based around the idea of traditional horror is shit like the original Scream was playing into, but you know elevated horror is where the actual real horror is, and it's not a new thing; it's returning to its roots in storytelling, mm-hmm. and that's what this film is. It's elevated horror you know it's not just a monster in the dark there's there's elements that connect to our very human existence regardless of where you grew up on this rock hurling through space it connects with you you know because that's the timeless dna in us of humanity we are animals and, and we all have these shared experiences either directly or indirectly because of that the most frightening um villains are human yeah. 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 I mean, that's. Definitely. Yeah. The dad yeah, I mean, um... on the bed. So <laughs> creepy. God damn it. Yeah. That was far, far more terrifying than the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Wendigo was just like, yay, that's so cool. <laughs> that's like, oh, God. I want to rip my eyes out of my head. <laughs> um, least favorites. Let's get, let's get to those. What do you think, Colin? Um,. I think it's one of the scenes between the brother and sister when they were having a go at each other and it just brought an unnecessary antagonism, which I, once again, it just pulled me out of it. That, oh, you left, you don't know what I had to go through. Or something. There was one or two of those scenes that just didn't need to be there. Didn't help. Okay. Um, when they overplayed her alcoholism, you know what I mean? She's in the, the store and she keeps looking at the bottle. They did that about three times. Mm-hmm. And that annoyed me because then you only have to do it once, but then had it like three times, and it's like, right. right, we'll get the message, we'll get the idea. Okay, you've got it. You've had a drink problem. You're trying to get over it, but you know, don't need to do it two, three times. That 
apart from that, that's uh, they're niggling points, yeah, really, yeah. and an amazing movie. Uh, what do you think, Cameron? Um, really, the only thing that kind of, um, and it wasn't until last night watching it, like the third or fourth time, I don't remember how many times I've seen it, um, is the scene right after they discover the ginger, um, when just for no reason the deputies at the sheriff's house, like. I understand the setup, like why he was there, at least for like the story uh, moving. But it's like, why the fuck was he there? There's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. The fucking sisters at the home with the the little kid. It's like, why is he being a creepy dude and checking in on her? Didn't didn't make sense to me. But then of course it plays out. With... Yeah. Oh. Okay. I was just. But, yeah, thought, yeah, I mean, um... it worked out because of course then. You know, that's when we get the when to go and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed kind of out of place for me. There was something, no, there was a conversation that happened that led up to this. Shit. Wasn't it though? Because I don't. Yeah, there was something. I don't remember them really saying did he ring, Didn't she ring him or did the twig go on? Well, he said, I'm here. And the whole idea was that they were taking this kid into their house from the hospital and they knew that the Wendigo. Or it was like a manifestation of their father at that point, right? Like they Did knew they that there was that, a though? creature. They knew that it, the creature came out. They didn't know. That now, now that's interesting because I'm sort of meta referencing this. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I just watched this last night. For him. Huh? The kid mentioned something in the hospital. See, that's why I joined up because the kid mentioned, and the brother was there about the new father will come for him. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was after the it, hospital, though. That was when he was at home. Because, uh, like, that's when they were having the conversation of her, like, trying to break to him. Like, hey, did anybody tell you while you're in the hospital, your father's dead? Mm-hmm. And that's when he's like, no, my father's my not father. dead. Yeah. Like, oh, but, you know, he, my brother found his body. He's like, no, that was my old father. My new father's going to come for me. Mm-hmm. All right, I completely closed so, with that, but I didn't. Yeah, so it's like, because, I mean, the first time I watched it, it kind of made sense, but as I think about it, it's like, there was not really any setup to have the deputy there checking in on Just because the plot needed it to happen, to yeah. get it moving mm-hmm. along. Yeah. Yeah, and I, 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 get, I missed that. I, I missed that completely. Not much setup. But they, okay, so, so here, you know, sort of a broad scope. They knew that something was going around murdering stuff, so there there is an entity, a bad guy, a monster, a bear, whatever, so... He knew that was a problem. This kid was connected with everything that was going on. And so it makes sense that he would want someone there to protect him when all this bad stuff is happening still. Yeah. I don't know. That's how True. I'm piecing it together in my head canon. But you're right. It does seem like there was a scene missing in order to really pay that off. It would have to God, be. God, like I filled a... in the blanks myself. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah genuinely, I, yeah. I, I just genuinely. Yeah, okay. Ping, 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 ping. It was a natural yeah. bullshit. The father's been killed, but the that, boy's in that house. Yeah. I'm stuck here. But it speaks to the point of, you know, least favorite in a film that's just great. You got yeah. a nitpick. Yeah, we're really nitpicking here, aren't we? Yeah. Like, really? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's like trying to find something to not like about this movie. <laughs> that's interesting. It's, it's horrible because the whole time I'm just thinking about that actor and how much I desperately love that actor and everything he was from Love in a 45 to Empire Records to this, to, to mm-hmm. the director's previous film, Hostiles. Like, he's just such a great actor. And then, you know, him getting killed, I was just like, no! <laughs> that was right. my, like, sad moment. Like, fuck, kill the kids! Don't kill him! I like him! Because <laughs> I'm a monster myself. Yeah. Um, 
I uh, I don't have a a. It has to be something nitpicky, like like what you guys are are, are talking about. Like maybe there should be a transition scene to get the the cop there watching over the house at night in order to really hit it home. But I just don't know that it needs it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything about this film that really makes me, that takes me out of it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's all there for me. I don't know. Maybe the fact that it's so grim that I like it. And that tells me something about myself. <laughs> that's what I don't <laughs> like. <laughs> that I'm dark and black. I know that's spelled. Um, all right, well, let's talk about... Is it worse that I like that and didn't feel bad about it? <laughs> I think it might be. <laughs> it just means you're, you've grown, you like own yourself and I'm still fighting yes. to own myself. <laughs> um, IMDb has this at 5.9 out of 10. They're fucking I don't idiots. know how that's possible. I just don't, I don't, I don't know how you go into... It's got to be because you feel bad, you know? Like, but then why Probably. would you watch a horror film? <laughs> but this has been, like, we've been talking about this for a while. This has been going on for nearly a decade now, the mainstream, like MDB, Rotten Tomatoes, is no longer reliable sources mm. because right. they're pushing one narrative. <laughs> and if you look at the audience score and the critic score, the, the two are not in sync. And this has been a battle and a lot of it's ideology, but a lot of it's fucking nepotism and stupid fucking people in the wrong positions. Well, just and, to throw so, uh, like a rock in the mix <laughs> of that statement, Rotten Tomatoes has 60% tomato meter which is all the critics the audience has it at 68 so there's only an eight point spread there that's still it's like i, I don't, don't understand, understand. <laughs> that's like it makes no sense this is everything good about horror yeah I, maybe it's because there weren't tits in it i guess that's or, are people like... just so conditioned to fucking cookie cutter bland shit probably that neither neither we're starting to see a resurgence of proper horror movies that the pendulum starting to swing back from the fucking mediocrity, and people can't cope. I don't know. You know what I mean? The... Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. It it does not stick with my lived experience, you know. Mm-hmm. And it reminds. I I just um, a friend Aaron sent me this book called um, Five Argument or Four Arguments for Getting Rid of Television. It was written back in the seventies, but it talks about this um, idea of reality and how we are experiencing life not through reality. We're experiencing reality through other people's filter and being delivered to us in news and seeing places that we've never seen in our own eyes with our own feet on the ground and thinking that that's the truth of that place. So it questions Mm. this whole semblance of what is reality if I've never actually experienced what I'm sitting here arguing in favor of or against. Like... That's our entire culture now. People getting yeah. upset over other people's supposed lived experience when really none of us have any lived experience with what people are complaining about. And so reality is not a thing anymore. And and I love that when you get films that speak to a reality that we inherently know because we have experienced aspects of them. No, not the Wendigo tearing us apart from the inside, but what that means. Something. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's something the there's something beautiful about it. And maybe that's just upsetting mm-hmm. to too many people. And maybe it's too close. Or maybe they just they want to have that plastic sheen of reality rather than truth of reality. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking too deep into it. No, you're this is um, and that's why there's been such a strong reaction, and that's why the pendulum's starting to come back, because 
these small group of people who live in a bubble, the navel gaze, they don't actually have any introspection whatsoever, and they just give out sound bites. Mm. Like, there's nothing genuine. Whatever the latest trend is for Virtue Signaling, uh, people have nice, shiny, good guy badges, you know. That's it. None of them are actually mean it. Just, I'm a good person. I'm giving mm. out the latest sound bite. No one has actual introspection anymore. Mm. But it's a human need. You, the reason why we're bringing chimps in suits is because we have that imagination. <laughs> Yeah, and if we don't get it back, we're going to die as a species. Mm -hmm. For one can I mean, uh, <laughs> series, Remedy Face. Um, there's a there's a racer called the Serami, uh, very very closely based in Japanese culture. But what he was saying about that race, why it was down out, is because they were singing all the old songs and nobody's making new ones. Mm -hmm. And this is what's happening in media: is rehash, remake, reboot, rehash, remake, reboot nothing new coming out and then when something like this happens people are like oh, i don't know what to do this doesn't mm -hmm. fit into what i normally go and watch yeah where's the superhero what do i do with it yeah but we need more of this not less yes yeah 100 you know what I mean? well and the problem is do you think do you think that there are directors and writers and producers that want to do stuff like this when it only gets 60 percent you know approval 100%. studios only make yeah. this stuff if it's going to pay off this arguably did not pay off but it's an amazing film so well, this is like the the epitome of what like why horror has the longevity that it does like this movie this is going to be something that people are watching 100 years from now you put this up against like the latest fucking marvel movie that came out same year i don't even know what the fuck came out this year like the spider-man or whatever mm. um nobody's gonna give a fuck about they that don't even survive a second nobody's gonna give a fuck about that five <laughs> yeah. years from now yeah. this one is still gonna be like there's gonna be new people picking it up there's gonna be people like me that are gonna watch this at least once a year if not more mm. like this it's has the, the longevity yeah. yeah not you know the the popular media shit yeah well, let's talk and about I, our reviews. I reason, like a lot of people do want to do it. Yeah. And there are a lot of ideas. It's just the problem is the powers that be with the money, they're the ones that are like, meh, meh. <laughs> what came out recently that's like that? Yeah. Oh, nothing? Yeah, why don't you do this instead? Ugh. People suck. Like the most, it's, it's a, actually really frustrating that the people in charge of creativity are the most unimaginative yeah. people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like the boards of directors, the money people are, the, are fucking, they're zombies, they're dead from the neck up, yet they're in charge of creativity. The two don't marry together. Right. Yeah. It's fucking weird. And it's always been this weird dynamic. And it's just got worse because now you've got mm -hmm. these bunch of, because of nepotism and because that bubble's just got so closed and don't let new people in, you've got this lure of absolute shite. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They haven't earned their positions, they're stepping on the shoulders of others, so they're not even creative themselves. But they've learned the language of the fucking soulless husks that hold, you know, mm -hmm. busy write the checks. But it's breaking because well, people, we have a need and right. we're not alone. We might think we are, but we're not. Mm -hmm. There's a need in humanity for this type of material, yeah. for stories to be told, to be engaged and have emotional response. There's, there's, this is what I love so much about the creative space, you know, in our world is that there are directors who will produce other directors work like this film is a perfect example mm -hmm.
because it is real and it needs to be told, not because it's a studio that's wanting to approve it. You know, um, Servant on Apple TV right now, you have M. Night Shyamalan in his best doing a very Alfred Hitchcock story, but he has different directors, mm. new upcoming unknown directors, directing each and every episode so that they get the exposure and the experience that he never had coming up. And it's it's literally the best thing on TV, in my opinion, and yet no one has ever fucking seen it because of the damn network it's on. Like, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> and it's just like, he's giving other people opportunities to express themselves in this genre that doesn't really exist that much anymore. You know, thriller and suspense in this wonderful marriage um, of storytelling and acting. And, you know, Guillermo del Toro ended up a director who ended up producing this film because he believed in it so much. If you just had a suit from Warner Brothers, for example, there's no fucking way. <laughs> you know, this Warner getting... Brothers is on its way downhill. They've, they've lost the plot. Yeah. They, that company has I no mean, idea that's... what the hell's doing. Well, let, let's talk about our reviews. What, what we th would give this. Uh, I'm going to have to update this on live because we didn't do it ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. But what do you guys think? What, what do you have, Colin? Um... I'm giving it a four out of five, or four and a half. I've got, got a half, and I've, uh, the only bit I'm taking away is because four nine because the brother and sister relationship took out of it. Right. You know, I mean, okay. that, that's the only thing that annoyed me about the movie. If they'd actually, like those couple of scenes, like two or three scenes at most removed, there's been a straight five, and I've been pulling other knives out of the drawer to add it and do because <laughs> okay. I love this movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cameron, what do you got? A solid five. Like uh, this movie, it was just perfect it, uh, in every way. I absolutely adored it. Um, like it so much so that my again, I don't remember how many times I've watched it. It was like third or fourth time last night watching it. Um, I had to go into it with the intent of finding something I didn't like, just <laughs> so we could have this discussion. <laughs> that to me is a perfect film yeah. like if i have to actively be like okay well uh her shirt was tucked into the last scene but not this one rabble rabble like that's a great fucking movie mm. um and yeah this is one like i said this is one that i'm gonna be watching at least once a year yeah i absolutely adore it i'm gonna have to be emotionally prepared to watch this because <laughs> it really did i don't know why but it really affected me that second watch through it Maybe I was just exhausted from hiking, but it, it <laughs> fucked me up hard. Yeah. But it's a five for me. Like, I can't... Even the bad stuff in this, I don't even think is bad. Because when I compare this to itself or this to something else, it's still the best. Like, mm -hmm. you can't compare this to... Um, I don't know. what What's a horror movie i just seen recently? Um, to anything, like, that has been mm -hmm. out that, you know, is, like, just modern horror... Because this is so much deeper, you know? It just connects so much more primally that uh, it's just a five for me. I can't I can't give it a four. So the only reason as well, um, I've noticed this with Amazon, and I'll just, another nitpicking point. Mm -hmm. When you stream something, like an Amazon Prime available with your subscription, if you're watching a show or a movie, you can hover over and see all the little soundbite bits. Okay. But when you purchase a movie, you can't. You oh, have really? to click on it and it takes you to another screen. That's really fucking annoying. <laughs> so when I buy something, I actually get less because when I'm just streaming as per my Amazon subscription, I can hover the mouse over and I can get the little, you know, who the actors are in the scene right. and the little bits. 
Wow. But when you purchase a movie, this is the like, second, third time I've noticed this. When you actually purchase a movie, that bit doesn't appear anymore. Huh. That really pisses me off because, uh, like, in the second watch, I want to hover over and I want the little uh, annotations in the notes so I can get more into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of having to read it separately, do I like it? I like it to be there while I'm uh, going through the movie. Yeah. So that's another reason for my half a knife missing. Okay. <laughs> Fuck you, Amazon. <laughs> You're yeah. ruining yeah. our shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, that is uh, that is it. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about with this film? Oh, all good. Excellent. More, please. All right. Yeah, seriously. Well, thank yeah, you all so much. Fucking give me like 30 more of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you guys uh, so much for joining uh, us for this horror. I just have to read and I couldn't even do that. <laughs> thank you for tuning into Haunted Grove, a horrific podcast. The only way you can find out when the next Haunted Grove episode is creeping up through the shadows waiting to jump out at you is by subscribing and clicking the damnable bell. I hate that bell, but you got to do it. You got to. Or else, Wendigo is going to get you. Don't forget to like this video while you're at Absolutely. it. And don't forget, if you want to survive between now and our next episode, don't lock your cannibalistic family members in the attic and then enter to feed them. That was my least favorite part. That was it. I'm going to go up there and feed them. Like, what? Are you crazy? You're going to get eaten yourself. <laughs>